CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Siemens Smart Grid. Welcome to CIO Talk Radio with your host, Sun Joke All. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sun Joke All. Very good morning and welcome to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. As always, we invite you to join the discussion on Twitter, hashtag CTRLive, and look for this show as hashtag CSR. Today's topic is leading a charge on a new tomorrow. Our guest for today's show is Kelly McElhenney, uh, who's the John C. Whitehead Faculty Fellow in Corporate Responsibility and Faculty Director for the Center for Responsible Business for the University of California, Berkeley. Good morning, Kelly. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Very good. And also we have Tim Mohin, who is the Director of Corporate Responsibility at Advanced Micro Devices, also known as AMD. Good morning, Tim. How are you doing? Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, good to have you. Now, the American economy, as well as the country as a whole, is currently in a rocking, rocky place, I'd say, or maybe you can call it a, a, there is a recovery going on. But our political system has created some polarizing topics as of late. So sitting right at the center of much of this uh, as, as corporations and some of their actions or lack thereof are inciting even more uh, debate. So this topic then is a unique one that we wanted to examine what has become the mindset of today's corporate culture and how they should be taking a stake in the broader social landscape. We have to acknowledge that uh, business has an obligation to its customers and to its employees and to the world when, uh, in, in which it actually lives. So with that said, uh, let's start with you, uh, Tim. If you were to look at what's going on today in the way organizations, I would say more the corporations, what do you think they are supposed to be doing? How are they making a difference or influencing in the way our social landscape is getting changed? Great question. You know, I think it's important to start right from the um, beginning by setting the context. You know, the business of business is business. Uh, we are not charitable foundations. Uh, you know, we we are exist to make a profit. Now, having said that, I think that there's been a major evolution in business attitudes towards social and environmental conditions over the years, and especially more recently. In fact, uh, I just looked it up today. The corporate register says that there are more than 50,000 corporate responsibility reports being issued now by over 10,000 companies. So you've seen this major evolution over time where companies are caring more about the social and environmental conditions around which they do business. I think the real question is why? Why are, are companies doing that? Um, there's a wonderful paper that I'll reference here right up front uh, called Creating Shared Value by Professor Michael Porter and Mark Kramer of Harvard Business School, where they talk about the, the notion of companies investing in social and environmental conditions as part of their overall business strategy. And I think that, that really reflects some of the difference that we're seeing in companies right now. And as the conversation goes on, I think we can drill a little deeper into some of that paradigm, which I think is really at the root of this uh, movement towards corporate social responsibility. 
So, Kelly, when you look at the way uh, sitting outside of a corporation and you, uh, you I'm sure you consult them and advise them and also watch how the landscape is changing. Do you think while we are aggressively pursuing profits and we are aggressively going after keeping the lights on, especially with the last five, seven years, how the world has uh, changed for all of us, become more competitive, more fierce. Are you realistically able to see corporations keeping, um, you know, this the CSR, corporate social responsibility, top of their mind, or is it seen more as a burden? You know, um, I am nothing but a realist. Uh, I'm an ex-banker, so that the, those years in banking make you quite real. <laughs> but um, I, I don't see it as a burden. I think it historically was a burden, mostly because companies like Nike took a real reputational shot for their contribution to lack of solid working conditions or their brand becoming synonymous with sweatshops. And they had to be very reactive. The biggest change I've seen today, Sunjog, is that companies are much more proactive in how they're approaching social and environmental issues because it is core to their business. This is not outside their business. If we continue to, for example, deplete clean water sources, Coca-Cola is going to run out of a product since water is so critical to their business. So it really has become integrated with core business objectives of companies today. So, so that's very uh, comforting, in fact, that the organizations or the corporations are not really looking at it that way. So, so uh, Tim, coming back to you, if you were to look at 10 years ago versus what happened in, in 2008 and onwards, do you see a shift in the way we look at things? Have we suddenly become more altruistic as corporations or have we become even, uh, you know, the trend is going towards from, from not as good to worse? Yeah, I think there is a real evolution here, and uh, I've written about this in the past. My early career <clears throat> was in government, and I recall the days when I worked in the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, and it was sort of trench warfare. You know, we had corporations on one side. We had environmental groups on the other side, and we in the government were sort of in the middle. Uh, we used to have a saying back then, they probably use it today, that you, you knew you had a good regulation when everyone was mad at you. Um, that has changed. I mean, we, we've evolved from sort of, uh, you know, being against all things green, all things socially responsible, into an era which I call the reputation era, where, where companies sort of compete with one another through things like corporate social responsibility reports, uh, cause marketing campaigns, et cetera, uh, to show their green credentials. Uh, why do they do that? Uh, they do that because it's important to society, it's important to their employees, it's important to their customers, and it's important to their investors. Uh, I think that's even evolving further, and I, I mentioned that in the opening, that I think companies are not now seeking the return on that investment. As I said in the beginning, companies are for-profit entities. And so when they look at investments in corporate responsibility, the question really becomes, what is the return for that? And you're starting to see companies, as, as Kelly mentioned, that are investing in areas that are germane to their particular businesses. And those areas also have a strong societal or social responsibility context. That's where I think this movement is going, is really integrating social and environmental needs into business. So, Kelly, when you look at what just Tim mentioned, that they are looking for ROI, do you think this is going to still be a hard dollar ROI, or are they going to look at that positive social oh. reputation index or of sorts that is being measured and people are saying year and nay about whether it was a true positive ROI or are we turning negative? You know, I think the challenge with ROI is historically we're very used to measuring ROI quarterly. 
And with things like corporate social responsibility and tending to environmental and social needs, it's a bit more of a long-term perspective. So you're not going to be able to directly measure the ROI short-term, which is a challenge since Wall Street still measures companies in that manner. But I do think companies are starting to look more at the long-term, and that's where they're starting to calculate the ROI. But they should absolutely be utilizing CSR as a return mechanism, not as something that is tangential or just a cost center inside of their companies. You getting called into a room by our CEO or the other executive management, uh, and this is for you, Tim, what is it that they ask of you and or of your department? Well, since I just recently had this experience, I'm ready to answer that question. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it is about ROI, so you were on the right team. Uh, and that's why I said uh, earlier about integration of, of CSR into business. I think most companies are pressured. You know, we're on a 90-day cycle. Uh, we have to report, uh, you know, our financials, our strategies, our, our new products. And, and this is what weighs heavily on the minds of CEOs and the executive team. And so when a person like myself, Director of Corporate Responsibility, is called in front of the executive team, we have to justify what it is we're doing and how it helps the business. Uh, in a recent experience on that, I, I used three things. Uh, the value to our employees, uh, and there's a lot of data that are showing that employees really do care and are engaged by corporate social responsibility. The value to our customers. Uh, when we sell our products, uh, we, we, we're a B2B. We typically sell to companies who have a major corporate social responsibility reputation and codes of conduct and other policies that we really need to adopt. Um, and then thirdly, investors. Uh, the movement towards socially responsible investing has been huge. Uh, the Social Investment Forum now rates uh, uh, socially responsible investment at, at $3.7 trillion under management and growing faster than the average mutual fund. So there's three big reasons, and uh, we, we've taken actions on all three. So, uh, Tim, uh, you very nicely summarized on the three major reasons why an organization uh, should pursue CSR and actually make due investment. So, Kelly, coming back to you, that those three reasons are not really something which are very esoteric or profound. I think everybody would understand those. So why then some organizations follow them, really uh, invest towards them, and whether or not they reap the benefits, but they continue to do so, when, and then there are others who are known to not be doing those. You know, there are always early adopters and laggards in any aspect of business, and I don't think CSR is any different. You're always going to have laggards who are going to dig in their heels, look at the concept of stakeholder value very narrowly around just satisfying shareholder needs. But as Tim mentioned, when you have access to capital like $3.7 trillion, and Goldman Sachs has an ESG, Environment, Social, and Governance Fund, I think they're going to come around. I think that is one of the biggest drivers. But something we can talk about perhaps after the break is just employees, the war for talent and this generation, the millennial generation or people under the age of 30, they care deeply about these issues and they are self-selecting for whom they choose to work, from whom they choose to buy. And I think that is one of the most significant drivers inside of companies is this war for talent. 
Let's take a quick break, listeners. It's a great segue. When we come back, Kelly, why don't you continue uh, on, on that war for talent and at the same time, the mindset that you mentioned in terms of the generation. It kind of paints the other baby boomers and the, the you know, Gen X people like myself uh, in, in not the greatest light because perhaps we were too busy making millions for the corporations and not thinking about overall society. What DNA changes happened or what was wrong with the DNA of the people who were not millennials which is uh, which has caused us to do that. So let's explore that when we come back from the break. So please, listeners, please stay tuned. The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. Wait, is that your pager? There's nostalgic, and then there's completely irrelevant, like having a hardware-heavy business phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use RingCentral, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations in minutes and manage the entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that 20th century phone system out of your 21st century business. Sign up for a free trial at RingCentral.com. The switchboards and Rolodexes are gone, and so is the need for a hardware-heavy phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use RingCentral, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations with voice, text, conferencing, even Salesforce integration, and manage your entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that ancient phone system out of your modern office and off your bottom line. Sign up for a free trial at RingCentral.com. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So, Kelly, uh, let's let's explore this. You you brought up a very interesting point about millennials driving it, but then you also have a healthy mix of people from other generations who traditionally have cared more about how do you make a bigger paycheck, how do you buy a bigger car or a home, versus really giving to the society in general and and uh, allowing a bigger social impact. You do still have a mix, but what I've seen with this generation more than any generation before is because of the, the inter- entrance of technology and things like Twitter and Facebook and moveon.org petitions or change.org petitions, at a very young age, they are starting to step up and influence corporate behavior. So not only do you have millennials who are just entering the workforce or who are running these companies, influencing and changing the behavior. One of my favorite stories is a 13-year-old in Washington State who went to Jamba Juice and was just absolutely appalled that her smoothie was served in a styrofoam cup. 
she started at 13 a moveon.org petition against Jamba Juice by telling them the, the negative environmental harm that styrofoam does in the environment and it doesn't break down and it stays in the oceans and fish mistake it for food. And um, she started this petition, sent it up to James White, the CEO of Jamba Juice, and he responded to the 13-year-old in her petition and agreed to phase out styrofoam by the end of 2013. That's a big, big impact. 13 years old. I'm absolutely astounded at that story. And you have countless examples of, you know, people under the age of 30 really going in and saying, this is not the way I want to live in the world. This is not the way business should be behaving. Now, this is very interesting. So, Tim, and a great example where uh, based on how you can communicate and how you can let your message reach the right people who have the power to make a difference or make a change in the way they run their organizations. That's why you saw such results. Now, with that said, most of the CSR today somehow is getting wrapped in the sustainability uh, as, as a sustainability uh, initiative or set of initiatives versus looking at the overall social change, whether you're how you're paying your employees, how you are uh, treating them, et cetera, et cetera. So, so is that because you've got more sustainability-related issues which were buried and now being uncovered, or we are not trying to go after the social issues where we are not paying people well or not taking care of them who are actually helping us make money. Yeah, great question. But before I get into that, let me just build on what Kelly said in terms of young workers, because I think this is a very important point. You know, anecdotally, we here at AMD, when we recruit, uh, this is either the number one or number two question that we hear from young, young recruits, which is, what is the company doing to make the world a better place? What are we doing for corporate responsibility? Uh, I sit on a, uh, the board of a group called Net Impact, which is mainly MBA students who are focused on making an impact at work. And they did a study in 2012 called What Workers Want. And it came out really startling that uh, workers, uh, at least students, are, are more interested in having a job where they can make an impact than they are about having children, which is just a, a mind-blowing result. So as Kelly was saying, this is a very big, big uh, movement among employees, not just for recruiting, but also retention and engagement. It's something we're focused on here at AMD. Um, to answer your question, you know, it's not just about the environment. I think that's the top of people's mind when they start to think about corporate social responsibility and certainly how I started my career. But as time has gone on, there has been an evolution and an expansion in the number of issues that we have within the scope of corporate responsibility. I currently chair a group called the Electronic Industry Citizenship Coalition, which is focused primarily on uh, labor and human rights in the electronic supply chain. Of course, we look at environment, health, and safety issues as well in our code of conduct, but the major focus has been on labor and human rights. Uh, it also includes other issues such as governance and ethics and transparency, um, our products, what's in our products, how much energy they use, the packaging around them, and so on. And it's all sort of wrapped up in this area of transparency and reporting. In fact, AMD just issued its 18th consecutive corporate social responsibility report uh, this May. So this is a very large scope. It touches almost every area in the corporation. And in my book, I talk about how you have to lead through influence by, by impacting or working with all of those areas within a company. Go ahead, and Kelly. 
Sanjog, I mean, that we talked about shareholder return. When you're reducing energy consumption, when you're reducing water usage, when you're reducing packaging, you're also adding to value, positive value, because you're reducing operating costs of a company. And and that's where you can, in a way, indirectly or directly justify the investment because you are essentially saving money and business looks at it in terms of hard numbers. Is that what you're saying? They do. They still look at this and they should uh, as in hard numbers and it being core to their business because they do have to answer to shareholders. And if they can link this to shareholder value, they're much more likely to be successful in their strategies. Now, Tim, based on this young generation question that was answered by both of you, we do have these new recruits who are trying to change the way we thought our business should be run and or how we create value. But they still are a minority when it comes to overall mix that you have in an organization. So, yes, they could be the torch bearers, but can they uh, actually bring the level of impact that we would like to see happen? And secondly, are they able to change the minds and the hearts of other generations so that it becomes a movement versus a few people screaming at the top of their lungs to make a difference? <laughs> that's, a, that's a really great question because you've, you've kind of hit on the paradigm of – uh, corporate social responsibility. You know, my, the subtitle of my book is uh, "A Tree Hugger's Guide to Working in Corporations," uh, and it's a little tongue-in-cheek, but it kind of gives you a sense of sometimes you are uh, kind of that stranger in a strange land. Um, I've I've sort of jokingly referred to it as the uh, designated driver at the corporate cocktail party, um, and and you have to um, kind of work with others. But I do think it's changing. I think as more young people enter the workplace as um, CEOs and executive leaders also uh, are, are from the younger generation, we are seeing this shift. And there's been a number of studies to kind of link uh, p- the payoff to being green uh, as a company to uh, its employees and, and employee engagement. And so rather than the question of, you know, what does it take to get uh, a critical mass of employees, I think another way to ask the question would be, you know, how does uh, a corporate social responsibility program really engage employees? You know, engagement is is one of the main drivers to business. It's defined as uh, applying discretionary effort to work, uh, which is, you know, where you get innovation, creativity, new products. Uh, there was a study by the Society of Human Resource Management uh, back in 2011 that said companies that have strong sustainability programs had improved employee morale by 55%, improved business processes 43%, a stronger image by 43%, and improved employee loyalty by 38%. Uh, so they did a fairly broad-based study and correlated sustainability with those really strong business results. And I'd like to pick up on that, Sanjog, because I get to see data inside of companies. And, for example, Gap, Inc., the clothing company, has found that the employees who are involved with Gap's social responsibility strategy and agenda are the most highly engaged employees. And if you look at, from a financial perspective, employee engagement, um, the higher the engaged employee, you can have up to 3x higher operating margins, higher um, EPS, 88% of those employees 
feel if they're empowered to change the world, they also feel empowered to change products. So you have a one employee at Scott Toilet Paper who determined on his own that the toilet paper, you could get rid of the inner cardboard tube, thereby reducing waste. And that was because he felt empowered to make that product change because of Kimberly Clark, who owns Scott Toilet Paper's commitment to the environment. So these are great examples now. Of course, you know, these are few and far between, or maybe we are seeing more and more of those. One is to feel that there is a need of introducing CSR, but also at the same time, we have to look at how well is it being run? Because if you are trying to make this as a change management issue where you're going to fundamentally change the DNA based on which an organization uh, does its business and changes the society or impacts the society, the the approach that you take, the way the ideas are uh, expected or elicited from the people, the way you react on them and eventually get them implemented, and then also show it to the shareholders and the stakeholders so that you're allowed the continual improvement and additional investment, that whole process. So almost this is, becomes like a CSR process. If, Tim, you were to challenge or, or were to audit the CSR process from one company to another, do you think people get it, how to do it right? besides just knowing that we should be doing it? You know, I, I think there's also an evolution there. Um, and this, this goes back to the paper I mentioned earlier, Shared Value. Uh, a lot of companies sort of jumped into this space because it's a strong reputational element. I, I recall a study by the Reputation Institute, uh, which publishes a reputation index each year in Forbes, and, and they looked at what constitutes a company's brand reputation and over 60% of that reputation were items directly related to corporate social responsibility. You know, reputation and brand happens to be one of the largest intangible assets on the balance sheet. I think companies, executives, executive teams, and boards are waking up to this fact. And we've seen more and more board attention to this because of the issues about reputation and brand and employee engagement and now increasingly investment. Uh, so I think the integration of social responsibility in businesses is, is really becoming much tighter. But to get right to your question, it's not just about, you know, trying to act like a charity, trying to, you know, do good for the sake of building our reputation. I think we're moving from an era of doing less bad, just removing our own footprint and, and uh, sort of talking about that, to an era where we're doing well by doing good. And that means looking at the world as an area of increasing social need and how do we as businesses apply our core competencies to solve those societal needs. And once you get that shared value, once you really sort of lock in on where can we help and where does it help us, that's where the power of business can really start to move the needle. Kelly, do you think uh, performing the CSR-related activities and or instituting that in your company's DNA, is it more of an art form still or is it becoming a science? Or you, you would like it for it to become science? I'd like it to become a science, but to be honest, it can still be an art form. And what I always like to say is most people enter their business activities with their brain. And for some reason, they disengage often in their CSR activities and only lead with their heart. And I believe that you have to lead with both. You can't separate the heart from the brain and you still have to bring a lot of brain power into developing strong CSR strategy. So, Tim, if you were to go out there and try to say, I have this initiative, uh, like say X initiative, which you want to add to the pack, 
are you given the autonomy to just say, this is a bucket of money, go ahead and use it however you want, or you got to keep going back and trying to justify uh, to your, uh, to your, the people who are sponsoring it? What's the autonomy that has been offered to the CSR staff and department? You know, I don't know any uh, company official that's just given a bucket of money and say, go have fun. Um, the, <laughs> most, uh, most corporations, you know, they have a pretty sort of definitive ROI scheme for investment and R&D. And the same applies to CSR and maybe even more so because, you know, you start off with, you know, isn't this just philanthropy? Um, but as we've seen over time, the, the titles in these companies for CSR-related jobs are getting larger. The authorities are, are getting broader, and that's an indication of how important this is to business. Uh, I think the title, uh, you know, at the, the largest company by revenue, Walmart, for their sustainability leader is senior vice president reporting to the CEO. Uh, and you're seeing that more and more. In fact, uh, General Electric, another huge company, has uh, a branded eco-imagination program, which has racked up over $100 billion in revenue since it began in, two, began in 2005. So you're really starting to see the, the integration, as I said, to, to business. But again, it's not just here's some money and go have fun. Let's take a quick break, listeners. When we come back, Kelly, let's look at the dark side where on one hand, uh, using the sustainability or perhaps um, offering a good balance, social impact, et cetera, related initiatives through CSR may be prevalent in a company. But on the other hand, there are also reports of them not being treated well, maybe not even paid close to minimum wage or not giving them enough insurance, et cetera, et cetera. So how do we really make sure that we are not investing in only things which are uh, you know, more PR centric and there is nothing left on the dark side. And there are situations, there have been reported cases where some things like those have happened. So where is that watchdog? Where is that third party uh, which is blowing the whistle so that no corporation that, that has a great CSR program also gets away with those things which are not really welcomed in uh, any kind of workplace? Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. The switchboards and Rolodexes are gone, and so is the need for a hardware-heavy phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use RingCentral, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations with voice, text, conferencing, even Salesforce integration. And manage your entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that ancient phone system out of your modern office and off your bottom line. Sign up for a free trial at RingCentral.com. Wait, is that your pager? 
There's nostalgic, and then there's completely irrelevant, like having a hardware-heavy business phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use RingCentral, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations in minutes and manage the entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that 20th century phone system out of your 21st century business. Sign up for a free trial at RingCentral.com. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So, Kelly, let's explore the dark side a little. Yeah, like everything, there is a dark side, and there is no company who completely gets it. I mean, CSR, so sustainability is a journey, not an endpoint. But the the globalization of business has certainly made business far more complex today. Uh, Tim mentioned Walmart. If you take Walmart, for example, they have over, on any given day, over 110,000 suppliers. It is realistically very different, difficult for Walmart to know what is happening at each of those supplier locations. Um, one of the most notorious recent examples are the fires in Bangladesh. And companies really took that obviously quite seriously because they're going to make far less quality products if people are dying in fires. But they did take it seriously because they do see the impact on their business. And let's face it, at the end of the day, business is run by real human beings. And human beings don't like to get a call in the middle of the night and find out that one of their suppliers crashed and burned. Um, I, you know, I'll take Apple as another example. And Tim came from Apple, so he certainly knows the inside. But when they had the uh, situation at Foxconn, where they had some Foxconn employees from whom they source commit suicide during the launch of one of the iPads, I was talking to one of the executive vice presidents internally. Apple certainly has one of the strongest brands out there, and consumers were still lining up for 24 hours before a new product launch. They weren't demanding that Apple do something about these issues in their supply chain. But something the the executive vice president, Jeff Williams, said to me really stuck. He said, Kelly, let let me be honest. I don't feel good about hearing that there are suicides in our factories, and I can't in good faith go to work the next day and face our employees without telling them what we're doing about these issues. But it's complex. It's challenging. I mean, Foxconn is a a huge organization with over 40,000 employees in and of itself, and they subcontract. And, you know, there are inherent challenges in the increasing sphere of influence that companies are being asked to monitor. So, Tim, this is interesting what Kelly just mentioned in terms of, say, Walmart having 110,000 suppliers. They are known for making sure that their suppliers deliver as expected, give them all the coverage of the SLAs and, and other contract-related uh, clauses that we have put in, put in there. But then if it comes to, for example, I'm not taking Walmart as an example, but any such organization which is going to go very hard in terms of what they expect as performance from their suppliers, but when it comes to the, the other bad things or the dark, uh, like suicides and other things that uh, Kelly mentioned, if those are happening, we just kind of shrug our shoulders and say, oops, I really feel bad, but I don't know what I can do. Why that dual uh, sense of control and lack thereof? 
Yeah, so, you know, this is one of the biggest areas in business, and I think the reason that companies are starting to look at not just the price and quality and timeliness of delivery from their suppliers, but they're looking at their behavior as well, is because the world has changed. We, we've become a global economy, and with that globalization has come outsourcing. And as we've outsourced more and more production to others, you know, this realization that not everybody shares our values in terms of how workplaces should be run uh, has, has really come back and into the public's conscious, consciousness. And I think Kelly started the conversation talking about Nike uh, decades ago, and, and now that has kind of moved on into the electronics sector as we've been talking about. Um, and I think one of the, the major drivers of this is something called the smiling curve, which was uh, coined by uh, the, the founder of Acer Computer, Stan Shi, which really shows that the, um, the return on investment is the lowest in the assembly area. It's the highest when you get into design and marketing and retail of the product. But in the middle of that curve, which is why it's smiling, uh, is the lowest return. And so we've outsourced those parts of the production cycle. And when we do that, we find that uh, those companies are really you know, not mindful of the things that we take for granted. Now, this is both a dark side and an upside. As Kelly mentioned, um, you know, I had a big hand in, in the design of the Apple program, and I've worked uh, subsequently on AMD's programs, and I worked on Intel's programs, and now I chair the Electronic Industry Citizenship Coalition, a group of 84 member companies throughout the electronic supply chain representing over $1.7 trillion in combined annual revenues. We have all come together to adopt a common code of conduct and to really hold our supply chain all the way up and down uh, accountable to comply with that code of conduct. So it's really leveraging the power of our collective buying uh, up and down the supply chain to, to do some good. And I think it is doing good. Does procurement love you or hate you for this? Because <laughs> they want to negotiate the best deal. And you're saying, I want also them to be spending some money on making sure they have right uh, working conditions, which adds to the cost, which increases the price. It's a love-hate relationship, no doubt. Um, you know, we, we at AMD, I think, leapfrog some of the early uh, experiments on this. Um, the, the main reaction to problems in the supply chain is to, to become a cop, to become an enforcer, to do audits and then corrective actions on those audits. Uh, we have found, and this was true at my previous employers as well, that if you take um, corporate social responsibility and integrate it into the business relationship, for example, bringing those key performance indicators into a quarterly business review and making it part and parcel of that relationship that is really hinging on future business awards, uh, then you can really start to see improvements in a sustainable way. It's just like it was with quality. In the 1980s, we were worried about Japan making products that were far more quality than anything we could create in the U.S. for similar costs. We learned from that. All of a sudden, there's corporate quality officers, corporate quality departments. The same is happening with social responsibility. This is why these jobs are growing, and we're seeing more and more of them throughout American business. So, Tim, just to clarify, your clauses with respect to not having uh, unfavorable working conditions for the workers, that's part of the SLAs and contracts that you signed with your provider in addition to everything else they do for you? That is correct. Uh, you know, it is 
uh, an expectation. We at AMD send out a letter to each of our suppliers uh, reinforcing that expectation. But it's not just on the enforcement side. We also reward suppliers who do well at this with a recognition at our supplier day. Kelly, when you look at what uh, Tim is able to do with this coalition, and congratulations, Tim, for taking care of that, at least electronic supply chain, but there is a whole other world out there. Do you have other Tims who are essentially uh, there who are taking their respective industries and trying to bring these coalitions into place so that overall we just don't have pockets where uh, this vendor supplier and, and, and corporation relationships are being ma- well managed or, or there are big gaps out there, Kelly? No, it's uh, one of the most positive trends that I see, exactly what Tim is talking about. Historically, companies tried to go it alone, and Nike was a great example of trying to really change their supplier code of conduct on their own. Other apparel industries followed, so then you had a factory in Indonesia that had 12 different codes of conduct, and it's impossible to really satisfy all those different codes. So they were one of the first industries that came together with the Fair Labor Association to, to, to bring these apparel companies together. You now have more of a modern-day iteration, which is the Sustainable Apparel Coalition, which has over 100 apparel and shoe manufacturers in it. And I think that that is one of the best trends out there. The Probably the only company who still tries to go it alone, and perhaps justifiably so, is Walmart, because they are the world's 22nd largest economy. So they have the scale and reach to pretty much go it alone and create broad scale change. And are they able to do it? And are they showing success and other other people following them? They, they are. I mean, you know, again, nothing is perfect. No company is going to be 100% good or 100% bad. But, for example, at Walmart, they have their own sustainability consortium, and they do rate all of their suppliers, yes, on price, yes, on quality, but also on their sustainability score. And as Tim said, it's that the, sh- the shift is happening, that it's no longer a, an audit situation or a name and shame of the bad suppliers, but it's preferential buying from suppliers who are meeting quality, price, and sustainability. And I can just add on that as a former regulator, um, you know, my job when I was at EPA was to enforce regulations upon companies for environmental matters. And, you know, our threat was enforcement action. Um, you know, and that, that works to a certain degree, but, you know, fast forward a couple of decades, I'm working as uh, a corporate auditor on CSR matters. And the threat is, um, you know, we're no longer going to buy from you. And let me just tell you from firsthand experience, that latter threat, much, much more effective. So, Tim, do you think uh, that when it comes to saving money, people get very creative and whatever SLAs or contracts or, or, or stipulations you might have put in your contract, they may be valid based on how you thought they're doing business, but when they want to expand their profit margin, they may end up doing things maybe not intentionally, to again violate one of the CSR, uh, you know, rules or, or things that you would expect them to do. So you, you have to really continually run after them or police something. How do you manage this? Because people will try to do things to get creative and save more money by finding alternate sources of shaving costs. And they could violate things which you don't want them to be doing. You know, there is no doubt that this is continuing to happen. I mean, the companies in the supply chain of all businesses run on tough profit margins. And if they're located in, especially in developing economies, 
you know, the culture of treating people and the environment well really just hasn't taken root yet. And so to your point, yes, I mean, there are situations, and I've seen these situations firsthand, where uh, these companies are cutting corners and doing uh, things that we would not uh, sanction. So it is a, a continuous improvement model, just like many parts of business are. We have to stay vigilant, and this is where the careers in corporate social responsibility are starting to take off. I write in my book that probably the fastest growing area in the world of corporate social responsibility is in procurement. Uh, we're seeing many procurement departments becoming uh, more and more concerned about this, and mainly it's because, guess what, most businesses are outsourcing a lot of the production, as I mentioned before. Uh, if, if these activities were happening within an owned and operated facility within many of these uh, Western-based companies, they would be shocked and appalled and take direct action. But because they're happening in a supplier company, maybe in a third world country, then, you know, why is it not our responsibility? Well, many people are waking up to the fact that they do have a responsibility and they're hiring individuals to monitor that in their supply chain. Let's take a quick break, listeners, when we come back. Uh, Kelly, let's look at the labor. So, yes, we have uh, people who are flipping burgers in the United States, and then you've got other organizations where they are maybe building something, maybe building widgets, maybe in China or any other country. All of those places, they want to minimize the cost of building something. And their cost is one of the bigger costs is what you pay to, the, to the, an individual. If you say that I'm going to minimize cost, but there has to be a guideline based on which people are at least able to live their lives while working for some an, an organization or a corporation to make money. So how do you determine what is enough and at what point it turns out to be where people are seemingly exploiting and giving so less money that people cannot even survive versus then there are others. And there's, there's a big gap between what that low paying uh, low, lowly paid wage uh, to a labor is given. And then on the other hand, people are getting millions of dollars of uh, bonuses. So we are not trying to make this conversation as a socialism uh, related conversation, but at least that is a cost element, but that's also part of, or should be part of the CSR. So what's being done in that regard? Please stay tuned. We'll be right back and explore. Wait, is that your pager? There's nostalgic, and then there's completely irrelevant, like having a hardware-heavy business phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use RingCentral, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations in minutes and manage the entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that 20th century phone system out of your 21st century business. Sign up for a free trial at RingCentral.com. The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. 
the switchboards and Rolodexes are gone, and so is the need for a hardware-heavy phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use RingCentral, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations with voice, text, conferencing, even Salesforce integration. And manage your entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that ancient phone system out of your modern office and off your bottom line. Sign up for a free trial at RingCentral.com. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So, Kelly, let's look at the labor cost and how organizations are trying to minimize it, but it also making someone not being able to bring enough food to their families. This is a really complex issue, and there's this concept called the living wage, which really in each country measures what it takes to, to feed a family of four and to survive and thrive. And I haven't seen any companies really take a stand on what the calculation of living wage is in a country and how their company is paying vis-a-vis this living wage. But you do have a fairly strong, a very strong organization of non-governmental organizations out there who have taken a real strategy, particularly in the past year, to educate workers in terms of what their rights are, to give them voice. And you're starting to see worker uprisings even in the developing world where they're demanding more. For example, in China, you know, the, the, the laborers have no uh, um, loyalty to the factory itself or to the brand itself. They're just chasing the higher wage. And so some factories are having difficulty getting enough workers to, to come to work. And, and you know, um, you're seeing more and more companies not see these NGOs as antagonists, but partnering with NGOs. Again, with Apple, they've partnered with the Fair Labor Association, and they have been successful in working with Foxconn. And Tim greatly corrected me at the break. I didn't, it, not 40,000 at Foxconn, but one factory alone has 400,000 employees. But Terry Goh, the head of Foxconn, has raised the wages at his factories. And when you have a, a supplier of that size, um, a factory of that size, it's certainly going to have an impact across the entire country of China. So, Tim, when we look at any of the labor rates, so let's take United States, for example. You've got Department of Labor, which helps establish it. But then when you look at what happens in many cases is the, the labor rates, whatever, are being paid at that minimum wage. Most people say that's not even sustainable. So then the corporation has to uh, to basically take care of those people, ideally, but maybe they say, oh, Lab- Department of Labor said something, so that's what we're going to pay, and they could get away. So it's become a game. What do you think can be done so that corporations take responsibility versus passing the back? Because there's somebody's kids or, or somebody's family's, uh, you know, from one day to next uh, day's existence is at stake. 
Yeah, this is a, a critical issue in this entire area of corporate social responsibility. But if we take a giant step back and, and look at what's actually happening with uh, wages, uh, what Kelly said is exactly right. You're seeing um, a much quicker uh, evolution than, than we went through in this country in the Industrial Revolution happening in developing economies where they're industrializing so fast uh, that there was actually a shortage of labor and uh, greater expectations for more pay and benefits uh, from the workers. And as that's happening, I think that labor-intensive businesses where the wage is a primary part of the overall cost structure are moving from uh, developing countries uh, to other developing countries, and you're seeing that trend. Um, over time, I think what you'll see is uh, a speeding up of, uh, you know, demands for higher wages across the world. Uh, but until that happens, I think there is an obligation upon business to look at uh, are these workers being treated fairly in, in all aspects of, of labor rights, not just wages. And it's a difficult thing because, of course, there's different standards in different countries. But the one story I, I kind of want to share with you is, is sort of the fact of work as being a good thing. Um, when I worked in that factory that uh, uh, Kelly just uh, mentioned, I actually spent some time with the workers, and I, I um, sort of did a surprise visit where I uh, spent a night, well, actually two nights, uh, sleeping in the dormitories with the uh, workers and, and spoke to many of them through an interpreter about why they were there and what they were doing and what their expectations were in life. And they all had a very similar story, and it's quite a noble story. They wanted to be there because they wanted to work hard, and support their families and get a better life, which is something we all want. Um, and so I, I think we often look at this as uh, such a negative thing when in fact, uh, people working to improve their lives is a very, very positive thing. So Kelly, if you were to give a playbook to the other organizations who may be getting started or may not be seeing the results or, or, or now not able to bring some quantifiable as well as some significant results based on their initiatives, how they can kind of revamp it or refine it so that the end results are uh, welcomed and, and they, they are what you're expecting. That's a great question, Sunjog, and I have a book as well out there called Just Good Business, and it is a playbook, a very practitioner-oriented guide to how to get started and how to link this to corporate value. And it really is to start first with your business objectives and what are your core business objectives at any given point in time. If it is to improve reputation, which was something that Walmart significantly had to grapple with, if it is to improve quality throughout the supply chain, engage and retain employees, it's really critical to start to develop a CSR strategy that is highly linked to your core business objectives. And it is also critical to look at your competencies. Walmart, again, knows that one of its competencies is its vast reach throughout the supply chain. Um, and so that's it's an area where they start and they get criticized for shoving things down their supply chains next. But I believe that they're doing that because they have 110,000, you know, suppliers. So that's going to be, I think, a really smart place to start for that company. On behalf of the show and our listeners, I'd really like to thank you, uh, Kelly and Tim, for sharing your thoughts about how we can use corporate social responsibility to build a fundamentally better foundation for all entities involved. Thank you. It's been, our, thank you it's been so my much. pleasure. My pleasure as well. And Sanjog, it's nice to see some good news company stories out there for once. 
Great. And thank you so much again. And listeners, hope you enjoyed the conversation and got something out of it. Please go ahead and talk to your management and also your fellow colleagues to make CSR as a part of your life and what you do for your business. And if you liked what you see here and heard here, please like us on Facebook, search for CIO Talk Radio, and be sure to follow us on Twitter. Thank you again for listening to CIO Talk Radio. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Please join Sun Joke All next Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Central Time, and 10 a.m. Eastern Time for another hour of CIO Talk Radio on the Voice America Business Channel. CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Siemens Smart Grid.